And God, we pray that you will take the throne of our lives. Take your seat as king, as guide. Father, that you would be in charge of our lives instead of us. Lord, it's too easy for us to want to be in charge. But we don't really do a very good job. You do a much better job. And so we're going to ask that you would be in charge of our lives today. Father, we pray today that you would help us as we are trying to see you as the living God who wants relationship with us rather than an idol, Father, that we can manipulate. Lord, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge because the way that we sort of learn to live in this world is to manipulate, to push, to coerce, rather than to love and to know. But Father, we want you to be our God, and we want to know you as God rather than as an idol. Father, we pray this morning that we would be able to really commit our lives to you completely in every way. Father, an important part of that is confession. Is an important part of it is going to you and admitting that we make mistakes, that our lives are not perfect. So, Father, we're just going to take a moment, each of us individually right now, to go to you, ask for forgiveness for anything that's in our lives that doesn't need to be there, anything that's causing us to stumble, anything that's causing us not to be a victor in the race of life. It's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. Let's just take a moment, each of us individually this morning, and do just that. Father, forgive us of those things, Lord, and today as we, as we come to worship you, Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to do that. We thank you that you have the power to allow real worship to occur in our lives, that you have the power to transform our lives if we just give them to you. Father, we pray that you would do that, and we thank you that you care enough about us that you would do that. Father, we pray today that you would just send your spirit into our lives to empower and equip us and allow us to live as you would have us live. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, I'm so exhausted. I think that I'm going to have to uh, sit down during the second service at this point. They, they wore me out last night, showing my age here. Well, uh, we are in the second part of a sort of weird series on God as living, the living agency of God. And I know that this past week, I know that after doing the message, I feel, I feel as though either, I feel as though either I didn't present it 100% the way that I would have liked, or more specifically, I feel as though we sort of have become so accustomed to using the... I think this is really the issue. I think the real issue is, is that we've been accustomed to using this word living and describing God for so long that we have really forgotten what it means. And I know that from the life groups because I was at several life groups this week and we were talking about this issue of, of living. And all, everyone who was a Christian would say, oh yeah, God's living. Yeah, God's living. What does that mean? What are the implications of that? Don't know, but we know that God's alive. And I, when I would challenge them and ask them, do we treat God as an idol? Everybody was real quick to say, no, 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 God's alive. So it's sort of like we know the statement, we know the fact, but getting beyond the fact, getting to the truth of the matter is going to be a little bit more of a challenge, all right? So we're going to try again this morning to get a little bit closer to home and without getting into a lot of can of worms, but we're going to talk this today about this living nature of God and why it's important for us and why it's critical for us. So this is our series that we've been working through, um, which is God, is God did? Is God did or is he alive? As we started talking about last week, do we act as if God is dead? 
Do we live our lives as if God is dead? Do we live our lives as if God is an idol? Or do we live our lives as if God is really alive, someone that we can know, someone that we can trust, someone that we can relate to? How does this work with the living agency of God? This is the the subtitle of our series, The Living Agency of God. What does God do, as we talked about last week? What is He doing right now? What is He doing right now? What does God do all day long? Now, I know that we learn in Sunday school, well, God is here, right? God is alive, God is here. But if He's here, what is He doing? Maybe the question is just too difficult to answer. But we can certainly put some parentheses around it so that we can certainly give some ideas about what we know to be true from Scripture about what God is doing, even if we can't pinpoint all the things that He does in a given moment in time in a given day. But the bigger challenge is is that as Christians, I find that most Christians struggle with this issue. I find that a a specific percentage of Christians treat God as an idol. Why? Because they go to God with their petitions, their requests. They put out the offering before God hoping that it will be enough. That if they say the right words, they do the right things, they dance the right dance, they act the right way, that God will reward them by doing what they ask for. By They will curry the favor of God. But that's the way you treat an idol. The way you treat an idol is you bring the right sacrifices, you bend on the right knee, you touch the right elbow, inside or outside, depending upon which group of, of Islam, uh, which, you know, which section of Islam you're in, right? For example, you, you, you do these things, these mechanisms that are designed to curry favor with God. But that's not really what God is about if we read Scripture. Okay, so the living agency of God is what we've been talking about. Here's our strategy. Last week, we talked about the living and the dead. Uh, We talked about the fact that God is alive and that he wants to know us, that he's not just dead as if the gods of this world are, but he is in fact alive. He is actually a person. He has agency. If you poke God, will he respond? If you poke an idol, if you take a stick and you poke an idol, the idol's not going to do anything because the idol's dead. But if you take a stick and you poke God to find out whether he's alive or not, he might just poke you back. He might do something else, but he's going to do something because God is alive. And so Christians and people in our world all the time, they are poking God all the time. God, do this. God, do that. God, if you're there. God, if you this. How is God to respond? What does God do? Well, today we're going to look at the acts of God. We're going to, see, we're going to start talking about how God acts and how God works in our world. Does God only work through hurricanes, tornadoes, and natural disasters? Does God care more about trailer parks than rural places or cities, right? Because a whole lot of tornadoes go to trailer parks. Is that what God cares about? Or does God care about other things? Is God involved in other things? Well, we're going to look at a story. And here's the deal with the passage that we're going to look at today. We're going to see what the Bible says. Here's the deal. The passage that we're going to look at is really long. I can't help it because it's really the story of Joseph's life. Now, when we talk about people in the Bible, David is a man after God's own heart. We probably heard of David. Joseph, though, is way up there. Joseph was a good man. Joseph loved God. Joseph had one of the best relationships with God of anyone in the Bible. And so we're going to look at some things that happened in Joseph's life, and we're going to see from his perspective how God moved in our world. So it's going to be long, so go ahead and open your Bibles. Let's see, we're going to start in Genesis, and uh, we're going to skip around. It'll be up on the big screen as well. I'm going to open up because you'll want to refer to it, but I think it's going to be, I think I started in Genesis 38. Let me just check and make sure here. It's Genesis, 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 and... um, Starting, no, not 38, maybe it's 40. 30, oh, it's on your papers, that's right, okay, great, 39. I knew it was somewhere in there, 39, all right. So we're going to start there in Genesis 39, if you want to open your Bibles there, it'll be up on the big screen as well. Um, Just remember that we're looking for the way that God works here, okay? So there's lots of other good stuff in here, but we're specifically looking for the way God looks. I'm going to try to emphasize it with my voice um, so that you'll see. Here we go, all right? Now, this is part of the story of Joseph's life. Okay, and after his brothers betrayed him and he went down to Egypt, it picks up the story here, 
And this is when God really starts to use Joseph, if you know, to reach his brothers, reach his family, reach Egypt, that sort of thing. So in this situation, after Joseph was in Egypt, we pick up the story of him in Potiphar's house. So Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully, right? Everybody know that's in the Bible, okay? All right. Come and sleep with me, she demanded, but Joseph refused. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible, okay? Now, what happened was is Potiphar's wife, when Joseph wouldn't do what she wanted him to do, framed him, okay? And then, because of that framing, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her, okay? So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. So a prestigious prison, but a prison nonetheless. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. So Joseph was so faithful when he was in jail and so skillful because of God's blessing in his life that the warden said, look, dude, I'm going to put you in charge of everything. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. And the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Caused agency, okay? Caused everything he did to succeed. Now, sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, next chapter, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials. By the way, Pharaoh's the king of Egypt, okay? Uh, And he put them in the prison where Joseph was. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why are you so worried today? He asked them. And eventually they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one could tell us what they mean. So Joseph says to him, what? Talking about agency here. Interpreting dreams is God's business. It's God's agency. Joseph replied, but go ahead and tell me your dreams. All right, third story, third vignette about God working in Joseph's life. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. This is the king now. He's dreaming this. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven fat, healthy fat cows. And at this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. And then there's some, another dream and some discussion. But the next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told him his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Now, we'll talk about magicians if we have time later in a minute. But. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once because the chief cupbearer testified to Pharaoh that Joseph knew what he was doing. And, he was, and Joseph was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved to change his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here could tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, that you can interpret it. So Joseph said about the agency of God, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means, and he will set you at ease by doing so. So three vignettes from the life of Joseph that relate to the power of God. And we're going to talk about what it means because it's very tempting in Christian circles to, to proof text certain passages from the New Testament to make it apply to the power of God. We're not going to do that. We're going to look at someone's life in a little more detail. All right, here we go. How and why God works in our world today? This is the question that we're going to be asking specifically, what is the works of God? What is the acts of God? How does God act? How does God work in, in our world today? Three ideas. Let me just start with a general overview, picking up from last week, and then two specific things. Our God has power over everything. We talked about this last week, but God has complete and total power over everything in our universe. When we think about it, there is really only one agent in our universe, okay? Let me say that again. When you think about it, there is only one agent in our universe. What, is, what do I mean by that? I know I'm using a technical philosophical word there, so just bear with me. But what do I mean when I say that there is only one agent? What do I mean when I say agency? Agency, I know we think like CIA, but don't, don't, agency it doesn't mean 
That's one definition of that word. Agency also means ability to do things, okay? Which is why we call it an agency, because it's supposed to get things done, although maybe it doesn't, and that's another debate for another time, right? But when we talk about these things, these agencies are the ability to get things done. So when we talk about God as an agent, it's because God has the power to do something, okay? In my marriage, I have agency. I am an agent in my marriage. My wife is an agent. Dennis is not an agent in my marriage. He has no power over my marriage. Sorry. Um, just, just that way. Okay? So when we think about it, God is the only being that has agency in our universe. Why do I say that? Well, because God is the only one who has power that can actually do something with that power. Now, again, some of you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I do things all the time. Yes, you do. You have limited agency. You know what your limited agency means? It means it is very limited based on a lot of other factors. Can you fly? No. You cannot fly, right? Joe, you cannot fly. I promise you, don't jump off a building. You cannot do it, okay? There are certain things we cannot do. There are certain things we can do. But the list of things that we can do are very small. I mean, we can't even get our kids to mind us. (laughs) that shows how little agency we really have when we think about it, right? But yet God is not limited by agency. God could make his kids mind. God can fly if he wanted to. God can create the universe. He can destroy the universe. God can do whatever he wants to do. Our agency is allotted to us by God. God created us, and he allows us to have agency. Yeah, some people in church might use the word free will. That's part of it. It's not completely it, but that's part of it. God allows us to have agency, but his power is total all over the world. Look, we may think of it this way. God is the biggest wave in the sea of life. If we think about the sea and we think about waves and, you know, if you ever go to the beach, there'll be small waves and there'll be bigger waves, right? And if you're doing surfing or body surfing or just swimming in the ocean, you know, you'll get, and I know it's really cold here in California. I know they lied to me when I came out here. I thought, you know, Hollywood, all the movies, the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the Atlantic up in Virginia and it's warm you can go swimming three or four months out of the year with with not I mean it's just really nice and I come here to California and, and try to get in and it's freezing and the palm trees there but it's still like and I, I looked it up it's like 20 degrees no maybe like 15 degrees the Pacific is always colder than the Atlantic by a lot it's just a lie that's the problem but when we go to the beach and we can't get in it because it's so cold unless you're a kid and you're just really brave you, you'll notice that there's little waves right and those little waves, they don't, you know, they, they do a little bit. But the big waves are the ones that we want to surf, or the big waves are the ones that we want to be careful of because they don't, we don't want them to knock us down. And, and waves can be deceptive. I mean, one time I went uh, swimming in the ocean when the hurricane was off the coast, which, for the record, I think I've shared this before, don't ever do that. That's really stupid to do, okay? And it was amazing because these little waves would come crashing, you know, at my knee, but it would knock me down. It had that much force. I mean, it would literally, you'd see this little wave just like you're at the beach, and, and it, but it would knock you down. It would have that much power in the, in the toe of the surf, and it was just amazing. Um, but when we think about it, when we look at it from this perspective, God is the biggest wave. He is the tsunami that will wipe out everything else that has total power over everything in life. If God decides that he wants to move in a certain way, he can do it. If God wants to install someone to be a king or to be a president or to be a ruler of a nation, he can do it. If God wants to wrap everything up because he's done with his world, he can do it. So he is the biggest wave in the ocean, now in the sea of life. This does not mean that all action on earth is representative of God. Okay, so what that means is not everything that happens on earth is representative of him. Just because he's the biggest wave in the ocean doesn't mean that there's not other little waves. Those little waves, by the way, can also compete with the big wave, right? I mean, sometimes you've ever been, and maybe this is too technical, but sometimes if you've ever been surfing or you've ever been in the ocean, you'll, you'll get ready to catch a wave, you know, you're going to boogie board in or whatever, you get ready to catch a wave, and this little dinky side wave comes in, you know, this sort of, here's the big wave coming, this little dinky side wave's kind of coming in, and it messes up the big wave, and they kind of split, and you, you don't get any, you, you just nothing happens, right? And you're like, man, that stinks. That little side wave messed everything up. And so the agency of God 
is such that he is this big wave in the ocean. He is the biggest wave in the ocean. But it doesn't mean that everything that happens in our world is representative of God. Why? Because God allots power to people. He allows there to be other things that have power or that have agency in our world. So when we think about it, if I go and I steal from someone today, does God have agency over my theft? Yes, because he could stop it. He could He could allow it. He could do lots of things with it. But I am the one who is the agent in the theft, not God. God has no agency over the theft itself. He only has agency over me. But yet he chooses at this point in time not to enforce his will on what I do. Okay. Now this is really important. Now this may seem a little academic here, but this is really important because when people ask you questions, well, why did God allow my friend to die? Right? The issue is not whether God allowed his friend, your friend to die, I mean your friend's friend to die. The issue is that God has agency over everything, but how he works in those situations because of our agency, he tries not to trump our agency, okay? So that person was born, that person made mistakes, that person made choices, that person intersected with other people who have made choices, and the result of all those choices bring about many of the acts that happen in our world. Now, where is God in all this? Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But where God is in all this is sort of the big wave that helps keep all the other little waves from destroying each other. We talked about this in some of our life groups this week, but otherwise, without God, there would be no ability for the little waves to work together. Now, people have agency, animals have agency, the enemy has agency, and even nature, although it's not a person or has any feelings or anything like that, responds to the agency of others, okay? And these are all these little waves that are competing in the sea of life, but when we talk about it, all those get their agency, they get their power are given to them by God. If God did not create nature, nature would not be able to respond to other stimulus and become an an agent that almost seemed like it had agency. If God did not create people, there would have been no people to love each other, hate each other, beat each other up, you know, fight with each other, do things to each other. If God had not created animals and trees and all this stuff, they wouldn't be able to have the agency either. So they have some agency. We all have some agency, but it is limited by God's agency. All right. Now, now that I put everybody to sleep, here we go. Power, oh, let's get down to some specific things here. Power over life only comes by catching God's waves. Now, I tried to think of what the right word is, and power over life is the only thing I could come up with. We all want to be victors in life. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to succeed. We all wish our life was better than it was. I mean, there's not anybody who feels that their life is so awesome that they don't need some improvement or they don't need some more money or they don't need something else in their lives. But the problem is is that we, as an agent, only have limited ability. We cannot say... A million dollars appear right now and have it appear. Why? We don't have the ability to make that happen. We, most of us, don't even have the ability to go to our boss and ask for a 3% cost of living increase, right? We just don't have that kind of agency. And by the way, your boss may not have that agency. Yeah, he may be able to give you a raise. He may not be able to give you a raise. Who knows? Some corporate VP may have that agency. And that corporate VP, I, well, we just go down the list. I mean, maybe he just is, you know, has issues. So power only of life, over life, only comes by catching God's wave. Why? Because all these little competing waves in the sea of life don't really do anything other than just kind of churn around. But God, because he is the biggest wave, because he is the power in the universe, the one true agent, the one one who could today, I mean, he could say a million dollars right here. He could say, hey, uh, you could live in Aruba now. He could say, hey, let's make all of our homes in California you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, sea, uh, what do you call it, like a front, you know, front in the sea right now, you know, just slough off all the other houses in the way. I mean, God could do any of that, right? God is an agent who has power, but the problem is, is that the way God works it out is that power over life only comes by catching the wave that God has established. Now, let me go to, to Joseph here for a second. And I'm, I, this, it's so long, I have to think about where, where each of these verses are. But when Potiphar and Joseph was has an interaction, 
It says, before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. So the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. That's what I'm talking about, the wave. You see, Joseph got on God's wave and surfed it as far as it would go. Now, some of you may say, well, Pastor, that's a really odd analogy, right? Because, I mean... Isn't God about love and we love him? And yeah, but just, just stay with me here because we're talking about one specific example, okay? Basically, God called Joseph to do something. God wanted Joseph to do something with his life, and Joseph did what? He followed God, and everything in his life succeeded. That's power. That's power over life. But it had to do with what Joseph was doing in relation to God. Joseph wasn't concerned about trying to get out of jail, which, by the way, most of us would do. Joseph wasn't concerned about a whole bunch of other things that we might think about in that situation, you know, protesting, our rights, justice, whatever it may be. Joseph simply wanted to catch the wave of God in his life. And by doing that, the power of God started manifesting itself in Joseph's life, and he succeeded at everything he did. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to succeed at everything you do? Well, yeah, right? But it it involves power. To succeed at everything we do involves power, but the power does not come from you or me. The power has to come from God. Now, when I use words like succeed, success, some of you may be weirded out by that because you may feel like, well, that's a weird word. Does God want me to be successful? Yes, but in the way that the Bible defines success. And we've talked about that in previous series. The temptation is to live our lives as if God is not a part of the equation. The temptation is to live our lives as if God is dead, right? I mean, we, we live our lives as if there is no big wave in the ocean, as there's just a bunch of little waves who are fighting it out. I mean, that's a Darwinian idea, right? I mean, that there's a bunch of little waves, and whichever wave wins, whichever wave succeeds, that's the way life is. If you and your coworker are head-to-head to see who gets the raise, it's a dog-eat-dog world. It's just you and the coworker fighting it out, and whoever wins, wins. But you're missing the agency of God in that equation. Because by reducing it just to the agency of people, just to the agency of the limited agency of people around you, you have missed the big wave. The big wave is sailing by in your life. And you have the opportunity to get on it, but we don't. A lot of Christians don't because they're still convinced that these little waves are where it's at. They're convinced that it is them that causes their life to succeed rather than God. But Joseph knew that it was by following God that God allowed everything he did to succeed. Now, I just want to stick that in your mind right now because it's not some things, but everything that Joseph did, God allowed to succeed. Second, let's talk about how God acts here. After we set this up, two, two things real quickly. God acts to reach people. Now, when we talk about the acts of God, we need to understand that God does work in a lot of different ways. God does a lot of different things. But there, the Bible does present two big areas where God really works. And you know what? They have to do with people, not processes. And we're going to talk about this because as Christians, this is one of the things we struggle with. By the way, Oh, no, let me not do that yet. You guys are not ready for this. Let me do that in about five minutes. God acts to reach people. Let's talk about this. God acts to reach people. Let me just look at uh, Genesis chapter 40 here um, and see, see what Joseph is doing here. And the cupbearer and the baker replied when Joseph was in prison, we both had dreams last night, but no one could tell us what they mean. And J- Joseph said what? I'll tell you what they mean, right? No. What did he say first? He said, listen, interpreting dreams is God's business. It's God's agency. It's his deed. But go ahead and tell me your dreams. And the implication there is that God will work through me so that I will give you an answer, so that God will give you an answer through me of what those dreams mean. So the greatest act of God is to relate to people. This is the greatest act of God. The greatest act of God, as far as we're concerned, is to relate to people. Now, I know some of you may say, wait a minute, I thought the greatest act of God was to create the world. Well, depends upon how you define great. So let's just talk about how we define great. 
When we think of like majestic, you know, powerful, then creating the world, the whole Big Bang or whatever you want to call it, right? That thing seems pretty powerful, seems pretty big, right? Seems pretty great. But why then does God spend about a couple verses in the Bible talking about creation and has a whole book about what he does to relate to people? I mean, when we think about it, if God has given us the Bible so that we can understand him, we have about this much on creation. Oh, wait a minute. Sorry. I don't know if we should count the front matter. Should you count the, the page that says Old Testament? And I don't know. Okay. Just to be on the safe side. You got this much on creation, right? And you got this much on stories about people relating to God, right? Hey, which one do you think God is more concerned about? Seriously. People. That's right. Good, Helen. The greatest act of God is to relate to people. God's greatest act... God's greatest work is to relate to people. So when we say it that way, it makes more sense. Because when we talk about act of God, we think of majestic, big, huge things. But the greatest work that God does is to try to relate to people. God is intently, God is very specifically trying to relate to every single person who's ever been born in the world. That's why we get verse in the Bible that says, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to not know him. He doesn't want anyone to go to the bad, naughty place. He wants everyone to have a relationship with him. He wants everyone to sit at his table. That's relationship. That's knowing. The greatest act of God is to relate to people. Listen, God's actions are according to his wishes and purposes, not ours. But for some reason, he directs that power to knowing us. One of the biggest lies that people believe, especially in the church, is that somehow they have power over God. They have power, agency over God. And let me just tell you here this morning, you may think that you may have power over God. People on TV may act as if they have power over God. They say things like, I'm going to have the, the power of God do this to you. No. No. Uh-uh. Joseph's life proves that's wrong. Why? Because the power of God is God's business not ours. God may use us, but it's only as his discretion. And why does he use us? Well, you'll see in a minute. God's actions are according to his wishes and purposes, not ours. When God acts in our world, it's because he wants to act, not because we want him to act. Now, you may say, Pastor, what about prayer? What does prayer do? Well, is pra- let me just ask a question. Because Christians treat prayer as some Christians do, treat prayer, prayer as what? Magic. It's an incantation. Does anybody know what an incantation is? It's a spell, right? You know, we think that if we say some magic words that God is going to do something, right? But that's a spell to an idol. That's what that is, by the way. God doesn't like that. Let me just, if we weren't clear last week on that, God doesn't like that. God doesn't like that because he's not a magical idol that we can manipulate into doing something. Instead, God is a living being who chooses to do what he wishes to do. Now, fortunately for us, he chooses to do what? Be our Heavenly Father and love us. That's awesome. But we got to give the props solely to God. There's nothing that we did that will allow God to do that. We didn't get a say. We didn't vote on say, okay, let's everybody vote on how God's going to behave, right? All those in favor of God being loving, raise your hand. Wow, none of you, okay? All those in favor of God being like a smiting God, raise your hand. Nobody, okay? You don't care? I mean, what is it? And so we didn't get a vote on that. God gets to choose. God's own volitional ability is his and his alone. He chooses what he wants to do. But for some reason, he directs that power to knowing us. I mean, everything that he does from Jesus all the way down has to do with knowing us. Why is that? And what difference does it make for our lives? Let me just ask you a question. If you want the power of God in your life, and God works through knowing people and relationship, what does that mean God's greatest power is for us that we are able to access? It's relational. It's relational. Why did God put Joseph in prison 
to begin with. To do miracles or to be put in the right place to know the right people so that he could reach many of those people. If you read the story of Joseph, you know it's the latter. That's what he did. God's actions are according to his wishes and purposes and not ours. For some reason, he directs that power to knowing us, to relating to us. God's living nature means relationship, not process. And this, again, is the problem. Many, many Christians, especially a lot of people on TV and a lot of people that are sort of in the media and that say they're a Christian, they're more about the process than they are about the relationship. They're more about the magic than they are the incantation than they are about prayer. Let me just ask, I didn't answer, really answer my question, what is prayer? Is prayer an incantation? On one side, we treat it that way, right? I didn't really answer this question. On one side, we treat it as an incantation. We say it the right way. By the way, earlier I mentioned it like the Islamic idea. If you guys are familiar, you know you hear the Shia and the Sunni, right, the different Muslim groups. One of the biggest arguments they have is over which side of the elbow they touch when they kneel. That's one of the big separators between them. Now, we as Christians think, well, that's silly, right? But they take it pretty seriously. Although we Christians have our own magic, too, because some of us feel that we have to have certain items. We have to, we have to stand in a certain position. You know, we have to take our baseball cap off if we're going to pray, to quote some of my family members. You know what I mean? Oh, but pastor, that's a sign of respect. Is it? Okay, maybe. I don't know if God knows or cares one way or another about our baseball cap, to be honest with you. So we have this incantation part. But on the other side, prayer is supposed to be us talking to a living God. We go to God and we beseech Him, we petition Him, we ask Him, we say, God, will you please do something in this area? Not because we are making Him do it, but because we're asking Him as a friend. Hey, Joe, can I borrow your boat? What do you think? Well, Joe's got to think about that, you know? Is that good for him? Is that good for the boat? Is that good for me? God, will you make me rich and wealthy? Well, God's got to think about that. Is that good for me? Good for him? Good for you? Good for, you know? God, heal my relative. Is that good for him? Good for, I mean, how does this all work together? God has to actively choose. And when we go to him and we petition him in prayer, he answers and he listens because he's alive, not because we did something right in the prayer. That's the reason why all the time people do crazy things. Non-Christians, they don't know God and they pray crazy prayers and God answers them. God, save me. I'm dying. Save me. I'm on this battlefield. Save me. Save me. Save me. Right? There's no magic in it. They're literally in their heart of hearts calling out to the creator of heaven and earth, and he's responding to them. Why does he do that more with the non-Christian out there on the battlefield, out there, you know, struggling in the, wherever they are in the walk of life, than he does people in church? Because the danger of people in church is to turn it into an equation, turn it into an incantation, Turn it into a, okay, God, I touched the right inside or the outside of my elbow when I kneeled down before you. Now give me my goodies, right? Give me what I deserve. By the way, you know, I'm sort of involved in Christian publishing. And over and over again, there are tons of books when you go down to the Christian bookstore whose theme is what? God's got the goodies. You just got to get it from him. How do you get them from him? Here's the 10 steps to get them. This is what you do. But you know what we call that? It's called magic. That's what that's called. It's magic. There ain't no difference between some of those books and going to Barnes & Noble and getting a book on spells, how to, get, uh, how to get the guy or girl of your dreams with this magic potion. You put in these ingredients, and this is what you get. You put in these ingredients in your prayer, and this is what you get. You give this amount of money, this is what you get. It's all the same thing. The magic spells... And these books, they're all the same thing. God doesn't want your magic or your attempted magic or your attempted spells. God wants you to know him. And when you know him, everything in your life will succeed. Why? Because you're getting on board with the power of God. Not manipulating the power of God. Not trying to harness the power of God. Not trying to get, a, get it wrapped around, get it in your arms, power of God. But you're just simply seeing this huge wave go by that is God. And you're like, hey God, can I get on board? And God says, sure thing. 
Absolutely. I'd love for you to be on board. I'd love for you to be on board. Don't try to manipulate me once you get on board. Just sit down, be quiet, and let me do something. Let me do my work in your life and ride the wave. God's living nature means relationship, not process. Christians waste a lot of time debating miracles when acts of God are simply vehicles to reach people. You know, the, the Bible, I mean, I gave example of John 11, if you want to look it up, Jesus talking about this. But, you know, we waste a lot of time talking about, is this a miracle? Is this an act of God? Is this, you know, everything from healing to tongues to all, you know, to, I don't know, just a whole bunch of other stuff. We waste time debating on this because these are the vehicles at best of God. They are not what God intends to do. The miracle is not the healing. I'm sorry to tell you, but the miracle is not the healing. The miracle is supposed to be that God and this person connected and they have better relationship with each other. That's supposed to be the miracle. Now, healing is secondary to that. Healing is important. We pray for healing. We, we don't do magic for healing. We ask God to heal. But the healing comes because of the relationship, not because it's something that we, we, we put in the right number of words, we put in the right amount of money. All right here, everybody, if you don't believe me, here's what I want you to do. You give $10,000 to the building campaign today, and God's going to heal you of all your problems, all right? I mean, $10,000 is a lot of money. That'll buy a lot of healing from the Lord, right? Amen? That's going to buy a lot of healing. Keep your money. I mean, invest it in the Lord, but keep your money on that because it's not going to cause you to be healed. If so, Bill Gates would live forever. He would. He would, dude, he could just like give a million dollars every now and again just to cover his base, just to be, you know, just in case, you know what I mean, if it's the way it worked. Miracles happen because God wants to demonstrate his power of knowing us and relating to us. That's why they happen. That's why they don't happen very regularly. It's not has anything to do with science or the world or any, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It, it's because these things are just simply trinkets that God allows in our life so that we can know him. Now, some of you may not like the word trinket, but I have to tell you, I think from the biblical perspective, it is. Jesus, he doesn't use the word trinket, but he comes really close because he talks about all these miracles. I'm not going to do these miracles. You don't have enough faith. You, you want these miracles, you want these miracles, just like people, like kids want trinkets. And you know what? It, people say, oh, but faith. But you know what? Faith is what? Knowing God and believing in him. That's what it is. Can faith be turned into a magical incantation too? Oh, yeah. See, you know, Ramir can be healed because he's got 3.7 units of faith. But Dennis can't be healed because he only has 3.2 units of faith, Right? So you got to work on the magic. you got to get going a little bit more. We waste a lot of time debating this stuff because the act of God is not the miracle. The act of God is Him knowing people. Otherwise, the Bible would be a manual about miracles. But it's not. The miracles are secondary to the stories about God changing people's lives. If you read it, you'll know that. The people is what matters to God. If God really cared about lots and lots of miracles, every day would be like Cirque du Soleil on here on the planet. It would. There'd be all kinds of fancy stuff, and, you know, we'd see it, and we'd be like, oh, yeah, God's a trapeze artist. All right. I don't know if Cirque du Soleil has trapeze artists. I don't really like it. My wife, I guess, has watched it a couple times, but uh, trapeze artists. God, yeah, God's the fire breather. Hey, maybe God's the bearded lady. Boy, that would be a miracle, right? And that would cause us to believe, right? That would help us in our relationship with God, right? No, it would not. It would not. God's desire is to know us intimately. And he uses things. He moves his power. He makes things happen because he chooses and wants to know us. What about several, let me just see if I can have the time to do this. But real quickly, what about several statements in the Bible where God seems to give believers power? You know, some people will sit in here today and they'll leave and they'll be like, but pastor, you missed it because God says he gives us power. Yeah, but whose power is that? Is it our power? No, it's God's power. What is the power of God? It's that we would know 
Him, that we would be saved, that we would have a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. That's that power. So we can be like Simon Magus in, in the book of Acts, and we could try to buy the power of God, and people do all the time. They try. You know, I can't remember if it's in the Apocryphal Gospels, because there's quite a lot about Simon um, in the early church writings. Um, but, you know, Simon did miracles, at least according to the early church. He did miracles. But, you know what? They weren't miracles according to the power of God. They were just miracles. Simon tried to use God as a magic totem, a spell, a potion that he could use. And it didn't work. That's why Peter says, get away from me. You know, just take your money and run because God doesn't want anything of it. And so when we talk about believers having power, we do, but it's because we caught the wave of God and God's power is coming out of our lives. Why did Joseph succeed at everything he did? That's the power of God, but it was because of what God was doing in his life. It's because God wanted to know Joseph, and Joseph wanted to know God, and there was a relationship there. And when that relationship happened, that the power of God worked through his life. Real quickly, third idea, God acts to show his love. God acts to show his love. Listen, God acts to reach people, but God also acts to show his love to the people that he desires to reach. We know that God is love and we know that God desires to reach out to us, that God desires to have relationship with us. God desires to show his love to us. Ultimately, we are powerless without God's action. This is what I'm talking about because you don't have the power to change anything important in your life. Oh, you say, oh yeah, you know, I can, get in, I can buy a new house, I can do this, I can do that. But you can't really change the big things in your life. And by the way, the magic doesn't really work either. Because if you go to the store and you read the book on five steps to getting God's blessing in your life and you do go through the magical ritual of that, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you right now, try it. Come back to me in a couple years and you will be as powerless as you were before you read that book. Because it is not about the getting this from God. It is about knowing Him. And that's the problem. Because we don't want to know God. We just want to get power from God. That's what we want. We just want to get power from God to fix our lives. But that's not what God wants. God wants us to know Him so that He can fix our lives. So that the power over life comes from Him rather than us. You know why? Because as soon as we have power that we can fix our lives with, we become who? Who do we become? We become God ourselves. Look at me. I'm God. I fixed my own life. Ultimately, we are powerless without God's action. This is why, where I think a lot of ministries and a lot of churches go wrong. Because somehow they believe, they've bought into the lie that we have power. We don't. We only have the power of God working through us, which is to know people. Let me read what happened to Joseph here in Genesis chapter 40 as we finish up here this morning. Joseph, Joseph had this happen to him. I think I'm in chapter 41. <clears throat> when Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, he was quickly brought from prison. After he shaved, changed clothes, went and stood before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, I had this dream. I've heard that you can interpret it. And Joseph said, it is beyond my power to do this. But so that we are clear, God can tell you what it means to put your life at ease. Did Joseph then speak what God spoke to him? Oh, yeah, he did. But Joseph had no illusion that it was his power to interpret dreams. If you, and you, you listen, there's lots of people out there on TV who will tell you otherwise, but if you believe that you have power to do things, You've already missed the boat. Because the power that you have is given to you by God. And it's not designed to impress your friends or influence people. They're not magic tricks that you can perform. You know, if I could juggle, and I cannot juggle for the record. I've tried. I just cannot juggle. But if I could juggle right now, I could juggle, and half of you would be like, ooh, pastor's juggling. Look at that. That's really cool. Uh, that's really cool. Look, he's juggling, right? And you know what? You'd be focused on the juggling, not on what I'm saying. And that's what happens in the Christian church. 
because most of us are only a little, a lot of us, I don't say most of us, I'm, when I say most of us, I'm not talking about BVCers, but I'm saying the church at large, a lot of us are no better than idol worshipers because we're focused on the juggling and not on what God's doing. And we just might as well be bowing down to an idol at that point. Listen, when we try to show God's power to nine Christians, we miss the whole point. You know, a lot of times people say, show the power of God to people. Why? Are we juggling for them? Is that what God has reduced us to, jugglers? God's power comes available most when we ride God's wave into their lives. That's when we see the power of God. God doesn't give us power and imbue us power because He wants us to be jugglers. He wants us to show magic tricks to convince people. He wants us to, to, to get on the wave that He's doing and help ride that wave into other people's lives. He wants to see the power of God do what? Relate to other people. That's what the power of God is, that God know, can know man and can set man free through Jesus Christ. That is the power of God. And the power of God is not juggling. The power of God is not a magic trick. The power of God is actually us going and being able to see other people, their lives change because of the wave that hits them of the power of God. The Bible says this, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. It's catching this wave. That's what the power of God is. We catch this wave and we surf it into other people's lives because that wave will allow God to relate to them and to know them. The power of God given to people is that other people may come to know God as well. That's the power of God. Why does Jesus do miracles? The Bible is very clear. Why does Jesus do miracles? So that other people may have faith in God. Why does God heal people? I hate to break this to you, but so that other people can know God. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Maybe so that you can know God. The greatest act of God was send Jesus our Savior. We can't dilly-dally here. We've got to just finish up here. But the greatest act, and we'll pick this up next week, but the greatest act, this is all summarized in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus came into our world, sent by God, to do what? To show off magic tricks? To cast spells? To show the power of God? Or just to simply deliver a message that God loves us and wants to know us? Again, it's about the relationship. He sent Jesus to relate to us, to know us, so that we may be committed to him. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and I pray that everyone here today will have the power of God in their lives because they have caught this wave that God has going through the world. Lord, that they are knowing God, relating to Him, committing to Him, Father, above all else. Lord, we pray this morning for your blessing in our lives that we would not seek power on our own, but that we would turn over our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.